Hi, and welcome to Recovered, a podcast from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization based in Dallas, Texas, and known by many as Maggie's. Each week, a recovered alcoholic woman is interviewed and asked questions about certain topics surrounding her journey of recovery with your host, Stephanie Crawford. Whether you're in recovery yourself, contemplating giving it a try, or just supporting someone who is, we are so glad you're here. Thanks for listening. Hello, podcast listeners. My name is Stephanie Crawford, and I am the host of this podcast, Recover Out Loud. And today on Recover Out Loud, we are recording our series, our flagship series, Recovered Interviews with Alcoholic Women. And so welcome back. Uh, So excited to have you tune in with us. Real quick before we get started, I just want to have a little shout out that March 20th, mark your calendars. It is open for everyone in the recovery community, men and women. We are having our very first ever Recovered Live with Dawn W. as our speaker. So fellowship will begin at 1 and a live podcast recording where the audience will get to ask the question starts at 2. So you do not want to miss it. We will be raising money for our next set participants. So the suggested cost of admission is a $3 donation, which equals one bus pass. So we're trying to raise money for bus passes for our next step participants so they can come to meetings and accountability groups and all of that good stuff for their recovery. So put that on your calendar and we hope to see you then. Okay, so today we have on my friend Chelsea G. And I just recently met Chelsea because she is amazing at doing lashes. So if there's any females listening who need uh, somebody new to get their lashes done holler at me and I will give you her information she also has the most beautiful little girl and has big dreams for the two of them so you your money will be going to someone who who very much deserves it anyways hi Chelsea hi thanks for having me yeah thank you so much for being here the first question that I always ask is just to give our listeners a little bit of background information about yourself let us know about like what your alcoholism was like and then we just kind of go from from there some people talk about five minutes some people talk up to 15 minutes so it's just wherever whatever you want to talk about as far as what it was like sure yeah first I just want to say I'm super grateful that you asked me to come on to this I love Maggie so much I wasn't actually a client here um, but it's always been very near and dear to my heart what it was like so I was born into a family of alcoholics I have one aunt who's not an alcoholic and pretty much everyone else is Um, and so I was born into that and you know raised in that kind of super dysfunctional um, one-parent household my mom was kind of gone off doing her own thing with like outside issues and I just saw her every once in a while um, and my dad raised me and his, his alcoholism was like under control until it just wasn't, right? So I grew up very poor and not to like woe is me or anything. It's just, um, that was just my experience. I grew up very poor. So did I. Uh, yeah. And I experienced every type of abuse that you can imagine, right? Um, I think like most of us have 
And so I swore I was never going to drink alcohol because I knew it was ruining my family and it was ruining my life. And then I just, once I was in enough uncomfortability, um, I don't know if that's how you say the word, once I was in enough of that pain and it seemed like, you know, my dad was escaping his problems that way and he was escaping our situation through that means of getting out of himself, then it seemed appealing to me. And I was in a lot of pain and I was uncomfortable. I was never comfortable in my own skin. So it seemed like something that I might wanna try, right? And so I got into that lifestyle really quickly, very, very young. It kind of spiraled out of control. I dropped out of school when I was 15 years old. I had no interest in school anymore. And all of my friends were, you know, drinking and kind of in the weeds, so to speak. But I I just never went to school anyway. So I dropped out and my dad kind of gave me his blessing because he was tired of going to truancy court because it brought a lot of attention to our home. Mm -hmm. And he was uh, missing work and stuff like that. And so... I just, I started running away. Uh, Not that I was really running away. He wasn't ever really looking for me. I think he missed me, but he was, you know, I was just kind of doing my own thing. I was Mm -hmm. running the streets. I was always gone. I was always into trouble. It caused me a lot of trouble, my alcoholism. And then when I turned 17, I left and joined the carnival. No way. Yeah, I swear. swear. And I traveled with the carnival for five years, and there was a lot of partying going on out there. What did you do for the carnival? Oh, well, when I was 17, when I first went out there, I worked in a lemonade stand for like 400 bucks a week, and it was so much fun. And that week, I was turning 18, and so the lady said, hey, do you want to travel to Tennessee? with us and I thought yeah I had never I grew up in Cincinnati I forgot to mention that and so I grew up in Cincinnati Ohio had never traveled anywhere but the tri-state so just the like Ohio Kentucky and Indiana that little tri-state there so they were going to Tennessee and I'm like yeah that's great Um, I've never been anywhere and so yeah that would be really cool and my brother my oldest brother was a carny for like 20 years and I didn't know him I, I didn't grow up with him so I didn't know him very well but He helped me kind of um, escape, I guess you could say, and we traveled to Tennessee. That was my first time that I had arrived. You know, I could really relate to, um, in in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, I could relate to whenever Bill mentions that he had had arrived, and it's usually some uh, geographical change, and that's what happened for me. And I just went on to travel for the next five years. And I, call, and I got into a lot of trouble. I got into a lot of trouble all over the states. I traveled all down the East Coast. Um, I met my daughter's dad, and probably in my, I guess it was my last year being out on the road, I met him, and then I was pregnant very, very quickly because, you know, there's always a boy, and it's always dysfunctional when I'm in the middle of my alcoholism, mm-hmm. and that's just the, my experience over and over. But this particular time, I got pregnant, um, and I wasn't, I wasn't interested in having kids, but I wasn't careful not to have one. And so I I came to Texas with him. I was going to go to Mexico with him. I just had this bright idea that I was going to go because there's nothing here for me. And he was going to take care of me. And my life was so bad. And if you had my problems, you would drink too. And I was just a really miserable person. And he's also one of us. So, um, you know, my daughter's dad is an alcoholic. And so it was very, very dysfunctional. Lots of fighting all the time. Long story short, I I had my daughter, I went back to Ohio to have her, and I ended up back here somehow, I can't even remember, it's all kind of a blur, but I ended up back in Texas, and I just remember being so, so sick, 
and asking God for the very first time ever, like an honest prayer to help me because I knew I was never going to really leave the relationship that I was in. I knew I was never going to leave him. And I thought that I was just going to die in my alcoholism. And I, by this time, I guess my daughter was about one year old and I knew that I wasn't going to be able to take care of her. So anyway, I asked God this honest prayer, please help me get out of this relationship. Please help me to get sober somehow. And about two weeks later, I was arrested and it didn't look how I wanted the help to come in, but you can't be picky when God wants to help you, you know? So I went to jail and I lost my daughter and I lost her for about 10 months and it was the most depressing thing. And I knew that this might be my chance because I had been drinking for a really, really Mm -hmm. long time and I had never been to treatment. And I knew about AA because my parents in and out, you know, usually it was a DUI or some kind of court thing that sent them to AA. So I had been around AA. I just didn't think it would work because it wasn't working for them. So Mm -hmm. how could it work for me? Where was, sorry, where was her dad during all this? So, well, you mean when I was arrested? Mm Mm-hmm. When I was arrested, he was um, he was still at our house, but she was taken away because there were, you know, other things in the home, and mm-hmm. it was like a, a domestic violence situation. The reason I even went to jail because mm-hmm. um, I just like to fight sometimes mm-hmm. when I drink, you know. So it was a domestic violence situation. She was taken away by CPS, and then um, his family actually took care of her for okay. that for that time, and he was deported about a year later so he's from another country and he was deported because he got a DUI is that where he is now mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and so um but I I knew that that was my shot for some reason you know at some point I had this clarity moment that maybe this is my chance I've been drinking for so long that why wouldn't this work for me and I was so desperate and it wasn't just that my daughter had been taken away or that I lost my house or that I lost my car I was very spiritually dead and Mm -hmm. I was so broken and I was at the jumping off place you know I wasn't sure I didn't really want to die but I really didn't want to live um and I and it was really it was really hard but I got into a treatment center for the first time ever and I started to, you know, I jumped right into the steps and I started doing this work on myself and and inviting a higher power into my life to kind of help me out. And so, um, I don't know, I, you know, after 10 months, I got my daughter back and just all these great things started happening. And so that's kind of what happened. Did you have attempts at trying to get sober before this time at the before you went to treatment sure yeah I had attempted on my own with no outside help and no I didn't really know what was wrong with me Mm. and so I would just stop and I would stop for weeks or months or sometimes jail would slow me down and eventually I couldn't you know I couldn't stay stopped so I would start again because I wasn't sure and it seemed like it's okay to have one drink, you know, and I was kind of in that mindset. I I had no idea that I had a disease. So it sounds like the first time that you were willing to give this program a shot, like you were actually really willing to give all of yourself to every aspect of the program a shot. Is that accurate? Yeah, for sure. I was so desperate this time. Because that's, I mean, so often we hear you know, like I was in and out of the rooms and blah, 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 and like that's not your experience, but 
what I do know about you from our lovely conversation we had while you were doing my lashes is that you started working the steps while you were in treatment. Is that correct? Yes. I was very, very blessed to have a sponsor come visit me once a week while I was there. That's so awesome. Yeah. So was that, and that was your first experience with the steps? Yes. Wow. So you were in treatment and your sponsor was coming up there. When did you start noticing a change? I didn't really notice a change until I, I guess it was kind of like around six months because people other people couldn't notice you know other people would notice that I was a little brighter I was a little kinder like all the things mm-hmm. that but I didn't notice and I still kind of felt sick but I was just again I was really desperate and I was willing to give it a shot and I guess until I got to my ninth step is really when I was able to kind of notice a change in myself Mm-hmm. and realized that God was doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. You know, those those kind of things started to creep in, and there was just no denying it anymore that God was looking after me. And when I had that experience, I was able to look back in hindsight and kind of see the times that God was there for me, and I hadn't realized it, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? But it was um, at the time I just didn't experience it. Do you want to share one of those memories or those moments where you realized that God was there for you showing up? Sure. So whenever I was leaving uh, the sober living that I was in and I was about to get my daughter back, you know, CPS wouldn't let her come into the sober living. So I had to find a place and my criminal history was terrible and my credit was really bad and my rental history was bad. And so nobody in DFW would rent to me. I was putting in all these application fees and it was like $50 here, $100 there for these application fees. And I wasn't it it was a lot you know and I was like really freaking out and I remember in the big book I did the meditation on awakening and I kind of let God take over that day I knew I had done the footwork you know my sponsor's like you have to do the footwork and then you have to surrender it and a lot of times even still today it's kind of hard to surrender it I have to get in a lot of pain and Mm -hmm. try all my ideas first before I remember to ask for help and so she told me to do that and I did And I went into this place one day and I just told the lady, hey, I need somebody to give me a chance. I just need somebody to take a chance on me. And I had already applied there and she had already told me no. But for some reason that day I walked in there and she said yes. And I just had to pay like a really high fee. But I I knew that was me surrendering and finally asking for help. It was like comforting later on in hindsight to know that God was looking out for me at that time because we couldn't it it couldn't have been a perfect more perfect location where we ended up everything was so perfect oh my gosh that's such an amazing story too and I'm sure there's so many people that can relate to that I'm sitting here listening to you talking just like how similar our stories are starting from like childhood like growing up you know like very poor and experiencing abuse and you know we, we both have little girls that were like victims to this and we both got them back and I also had this experience where I was everyone was like telling me they're like you're not gonna be able to find anybody to rent to you you know like all these things but having like those things where everything like lines up where like something wasn't supposed to work but it ended up working you know and so I just related to like so much of what you were saying I have so many things I want to talk to you about but I just don't really know where to start first okay I do because we also kind of talked about this whenever you were doing my lashes so conversations can get deep with your lash tech y'all so (laughs) anyways your mom is now sober yes which is fantastic and that's amazing did you have a lot of resentment with your mother 
for not being around and can you talk about kind of like coming to the place of forgiveness and acceptance and just anything that kind of would be helpful to anybody who is maybe in that situation sure yeah for sure I didn't even want I mean obviously when I was little I wanted my mom to be around that's all I wanted was my mommy Mm -hmm. and I even would run away sometimes when I was like 10 and 11 and I would try to go find her and she would be like in a drug house or something and she just wouldn't have time for me I would be able to see her but it was really sad and I didn't care that she was on drugs I just wanted her to be around me at some place in life my heart hardened toward Mm -hmm. her I'm probably like 13, age 13 or so. Um, that's a weird age for teenage girls and their moms anyway. But right. my my heart just really hardened towards her. And I had no compassion for her. And I was like, whatever. I just fully expected her to die. And I maybe wouldn't even get the message that she had died, you know. Mm-hmm. And I have five brothers. A little backstory on my mom. I have five brothers who are all my mom's kids. So there are six of us. And we were all taken away from her at separate times. We all grew up separately. So of them went to foster homes some of them got adopted some of them got to be with their grandmas and I was the only one who was able to go with my biological father and so I am grateful for that um little side note but yeah I didn't want to be around her or anything and I was really resentful to her for losing her kids I just couldn't believe that somebody would be so irresponsible to lose their children which is really ironic now that I lost mine but yeah I didn't talk to her for a really long time and then she actually came to texas with me i brought her here probably like six or seven years ago and she lived with lily and her father and i and uh, we didn't get along we were all drinking we we're all kind of partying before i got arrested and lily was probably like a year old around that time and when my daughter was taken away by cps my mom just left she didn't stay and she has her reasons but at the time i couldn't understand why she didn't stay and try to fight for lily while i was in jail so she went back home and she actually got sober i don't know what happened i've seen her in and out of the rooms my entire life and she's been going to aa since she was 23 and she's 63 now um so 40 years and i saw her in and out in and out and for some reason something clicked she got a sober um exactly a month before me and so it's really interesting how it all kind of unfolded but later on uh you know we didn't talk for a while even after we were sober but i made my amends to her and the way that i did that was through a letter everybody does it differently so nobody has to take this uh, take it you know with a grain of salt but i did it in the form of a letter because we weren't on speaking terms and she was really far she was all the way in ohio and i was here you know we started talking a little bit and she wanted to facetime with my daughter and i thought that was really cool i let her come here one year for christmas and she decided to stay and she really just fell in love with the recovery community here it is a lot different than where we're from and she fell in love with it and i was like yeah you can stay and we weren't able to live together we tried it for a little bit we weren't able to live together but she lives you know like a few streets away from me now and we both have kind of decided that it's too late for the mommy daughter thing so we don't have really a relationship in that way but she's a great grandma and Mm -hmm. i think it took a lot of self-searching and a lot of work on myself to be able to forgive people and i know that for me it's like 
I can't drink the poison and expect her to die, you know? And I can't waste more time of our lives not speaking to her or hating her or resenting her because it really just makes me sick and my daughter can sense that. And and I know my mom doesn't have very much family and she's older, you know, and there's no sense... Um, and going on like that and we've kind of put it behind us and I think maybe there's some deep-rooted stuff in me that kind of wants to come out but if something like that pops up I'm able to take that to my sponsor and we can work it out I don't have to take it out on her or act out in front of my daughter or anything like that so we kind of just are vibing right now we go to meetings together it's a really cool thing my dad passed in 2014 that's who raised me and so Um, she's the only parent I have left you know Mm -hmm. and I just I'm really grateful that she is sober now it's a cool thing to watch yeah I'm I'm happy that she has a sponsor and it's actually working for her now I've seen it not work for a really long time because she wasn't ready so yeah that's that's awesome yeah so I'm just speaking from like my experience because I know when I was younger and and I mean not younger but when, when I was growing up like one of my fears was ending up like my mom my mom wasn't an alcohol she's not an alcoholic and she's I feel kind of gross saying that because like as an adult and be where I am today I would be lucky to be like my mom but growing up what I saw was someone who like really struggled and you know there was like four of us and we were all crammed into this two-bedroom townhouse and my mom slept on the couch and there was she was never home because she was having to work and like I just I didn't want to grow up like a struggling single mom for the rest of my life I mean that's that's what that's what I've always seen with my mom was just a struggling single mom and you know people would say Tracy's so strong and and I'm like I don't want to be like that I don't want to be in a place where like I have to be so strong you know yeah and then I came I I came to this place recently and and I'm living in this two-bedroom apartment with my two children (laughs) and people are like Stephanie you're so strong (laughs) and I'm like I'm living just like my mom did and this was like one of the things that I was terrified of did you ever have that experience where like you're like oh my god I've turned into my mom yeah I think once I started to forgive her I think maybe not really when I was in active alcoholism I just uh I considered that my destiny because I was born into it. I was like, oh, this is just how I'm going to live and die. But when I started to forgive her, I was able to have some kind of compassion for her and like, oh, I really am a lot like her. Like I lost my daughter and I understand how how difficult it was to try to put my daughter before alcohol Mm -hmm. and and it just wasn't an option for me because I was really really sick and so and I know I got to know her through that process and and learn about her childhood and how she kind of grew up like me worse than me she had a a lot worse circumstances than me and it was a very different time she was born in 58 you know and so Mm -hmm. she and she was adopted and all these things and so I was able to kind of grow into a compassion for her and realize that we're a lot alike and that I've been really hard on her and in turn I've been really hard on myself and Mm -hmm. so I was able to kind of forgive us both and you know like have some compassion and sometimes I just see her as a little girl and I just want to give her so much love and I just squeeze her and she gives the best hugs and she's really just a cool person but yeah I feel like I did kind of grow into her it's weird because now we're kind of the same person too sober Mm -hmm. (laughs) oh that's so wonderful when you were writing your four step I'm not sure she was on it right sure okay yeah. what did you see in your fourth column what were your mistakes I I can't it was my I did my first one probably about four years ago I think my mistakes were 
well, first of all, holding on to a lot of stuff when I turned into an adult because um, I was holding on to stuff from my childhood, but also being really, really hard on her, being mean to her. I mean, hateful. Same. I was I was terrible to her. I would even get into fistfights with her and stuff like that. And I was just really mean Mm-hmm. to her and even if she was mean to me that didn't matter you know because the fourth column is about me but um I could just when I was able to separate that and see how badly I had treated her for old things you mm-hmm. know it just it didn't seem fair and so yeah I was definitely I was just hateful and mean to her I totally relate to that as well because my mom was on my step. I feel like everybody's mother's on their step. so hopefully I mean hopefully my children don't end up in the rooms and I won't end up on their fourth step and maybe they'll end up in therapy because of me I don't know but you know I was writing whenever I was doing the resentment inventory on my mom what I ended up seeing like with the same thing where I was holding on to stuff from my childhood because I had blamed her for the trauma and stuff that had happened to me and holding on to that and then in turn being I totally relate to like being extremely hateful and mean and I just think back of, oh my gosh, if my daughter like was, is like even half as mean to me as I was to my mom, like I would want to die, you know, yeah. it's just, so I just, I also relate to that so much. And I'm glad that you guys have that relationship today. That's yeah. pretty awesome. It's, it's crazy that you say if your daughter treated you that way, you would want to die because now I'm able to see, you know, like I mentioned before, I couldn't understand how somebody could lose custody of six kids and just keep on going in their alcoholism. But now I know that each time something like that happened and each time one of her children said something hateful to her, I feel like it probably kept her out longer, the shame and the guilt. And I mm-hmm. could definitely relate to that. And I could see that happening to me, you know, mm-hmm. had I not gotten my daughter back or if I would have kept going. I had a little bit different circumstance, but I understand how shame and guilt can keep you out mm-hmm. there for a long time. I think that's really sad, you know, and it makes me have more compassion for her because it was six children mm-hmm. who I'm sure she had intention on getting back at some point and then just mm-hmm. couldn't put mm-hmm. it down, you know? So. Yeah. No, and I was so much like that too. Whenever I first started coming to the rooms, like I had my daughter and stuff, and I just couldn't believe that these mothers would like lose their children. I just could not understand. And I always thought that like if something like that ever happened to me that I would stop, you know, and then later on to find out that, you know, it's not a, it's not a choice. And whenever I did lose my daughter, having every intention of like getting her back, but instead I ended up staying out longer. And it was like anytime like a thought came into my mind of her or I would see something on TV about a child or anything, it just made me grab whatever closest substance was in front of me. Sure. You know, like it wasn't. And so I think about that sometimes. I have such a heart for moms and active addiction and active alcoholism because I know that like that shame that you feel when you're out and how mothers are and fathers too you know that pain that they feel and wondering like you know why can't I stop for my kids and like why am I this horrible person and for me like my daughter would be better off if I wasn't around and then like the children who think why am I not enough for my mom yeah It's, it's just like so heartbreaking on on all sides but obviously there's hope because you have restored the relationship with your daughter as well and she you guys are so cute uh, by the way 
So do you want to talk about the process of getting your daughter back and all of that too? Sure, yeah. That was a really tough one. I was really going through it with her dad because before he was deported back to his country, he was really fighting me and he was really trying to spite me. And I told him every promise I could tell him while I was in jail, you know, I will marry you when I get out of here. Please get me out of here, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And he was just like, no, I'm, I'm going to take our daughter and, and start a new life. And and she had always been with me. She had always been with me. And even throughout all of the struggles that we had and the moving around from kind of state to state for a little bit there, I, I thought basically for me what it was is that my entire identity was wrapped in being her mom and his girlfriend and so when my solution to my internal problems alcohol was removed from the situation and my daughter was removed and he was removed I didn't know who I was and so you know they told me that I would have a year-long CPS case it would be open for a year that didn't mean that she would be away from me for a year but I went into sober living And I really got to know myself through the steps and um, I got to get this relationship with God, which is exactly what I needed because if they had given her back to me as soon as I got out of jail, I would have maybe done the same thing or um, I just wouldn't have been that great of a mom because the steps taught me how to be a mom and how to be a daughter and how to be a friend and how to pray and all the things that I had been missing my entire life. And so I really needed that 10 months. It was really hard. I got to visit her one time a week for one hour a week and I kind of expected her aunt and uncle who was taking care of her to pat me on the back and tell me I was doing a great job but in their mind you know I didn't have a great track record of staying sober for long periods of time so they thought I'd mess up again and they didn't pat me on the back at all. They were like oh you're doing what you're supposed to be Good doing. Job. <laughs> yeah you're you're finally doing what you're supposed to be doing and you probably should have had your daughter already and when you're here you need to feed her and give her a bath and all I wanted to do was like snuggle her and play with her and you know it was I had some responsibilities there and so I talked with my sponsor who didn't have any kids and and I she went on my fourth step because (laughs) I talked to her and I was telling her that my daughter was calling this other woman mommy you know Mm -hmm. and I was just ready to like go to war about that I was so upset and my sponsor said well she's raising her and it was like the hardest thing ever to hear her say that. And I was very angry at my sponsor. I'm like, you don't have kids. You don't know what you're talking about. But she's absolutely right. Yeah. You know, I had gotten us into that situation. And this couple, you know, her aunt and uncle, great people, um, had stopped their entire lives to take mm-hmm. care of this little baby. They didn't have any kids. So, you know, they're just like a little regular couple they work and like have fun and they had to stop their lives and so you know I at the time I was just like I am never gonna let them see her once I get her back I'm never gonna let them see her you know it was kind of um, a war within myself until you know my sponsor made me pray for them and I was like ew I don't want to pray for them so mad at them but I did in any way because I know it works and and it had been proving the program had been proving up to that point to be working in my life and so I took her suggestion and I prayed for them And they're great people and they're in our lives now, you know, but I, whenever I got into my own apartment, like I was telling you guys earlier, I got into my own apartment and she got to come home with me and she was very angry. Mm. She was so angry. Every emotion she had, she dealt with by throwing things, by screaming. She would swing at my face, like swing punches at my face. And she would, you know, she was just a really angry child. She would throw herself on the floor. How old was she? Two, 
Mm, mm. Girl. Yeah, she was almost three when I got her back, and she was just, you know, there's like the terrible twos and three major in there, and mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so she was already like going to be kind of moody. I knew that, and how you know she's grown into her own personality, but she was angry at me because every time I would go to visit her, she would say, "Can I please come home with you?" And I couldn't take her home. You know, I wasn't allowed to yet. So when she came home, um, we had to work through that a little bit because those are the only emotions she had ever seen between her father and I Mm -hmm. we would throw things and we would scream and we would fight and swing punches at each other and so all of that she had learned from me and I was just really sad about that but we worked through it and she has just grown into I don't she's so perfect she's brilliant she's so happy she's funny she's hilarious I never know what she's gonna say sometimes I feel like I don't deserve her but I know that God gave her to me as like a special gift and so she's just a perfect kid and she doesn't really remember any of that Mm -hmm. she'll mention sometimes you know do you remember when I um would stay the night at my aunt Abby's house so I don't even think she remembers living there and it's just perfect and she's never really seen me take a drink that she remembers you know and so Mm -hmm. it's not affecting her Mm -hmm. and I'm super grateful for that Mm -hmm. yeah if you or someone you know is a woman who wants to sustain and grow in her recovery check out our three-month non-residential program. Next Step offers community, structure, and accountability to alcoholic women at absolutely no cost. Everything we do in Next Step, from the assignments to the accountability group, is to help alcoholic women not only stay sober, but thrive in their recovery. Because we have both in-person and virtual options, we can help women from all over the world. To call into a phone screen to see if you qualify, please call 214-764-0793, extension 500. That's that's amazing. I feel like I keep saying this. I can relate. I can relate. But I remember, you know, whenever my daughter's father and stepmom were were taking care of my daughter and being so so angry you know like feeling like I was very entitled to her time because I gave birth to her I raised her I'm her mother you know just like all this entitlement and selfishness and I finally just like accepted the fact that like okay they've been taking care of my daughter you know like would I want somebody taking care of my daughter the way that I was taking care of my daughter absolutely not I'd be livid you know And so whenever I was able to do that, I was finally able to kind of like accept that and like really like be on that long period of reconstruction ahead that the big book talks about. But anyways, I remember I went to her school. It was like whenever I was first starting to come around, I think she was in first grade, second grade, and she's a wonderful artist. And she had a painting that had won an award and it was being like showcased and all this stuff. And it was a painting of her family, but I wasn't in it. It was, oh, wow. it was like her stepmom and her dad. And, and I just remember being so heartbroken and like going home to my Oxford house and, and crying and, you know, being so upset. But like you, I can, I, mean, I just can't imagine the pain of like hearing your daughter calling somebody else mommy. But it's like, this program works right because it's like yeah that's painful and that's hard but we're giving these like spiritual toolkits where we can like take responsibility and and take ownership and and be okay no matter what our present circumstances may be like the big book promises us that you know and just like you like you can't even 
you can't even tell yeah that there was once a time where she I she didn't consider me part of her family and like you it she wasn't angry but it was almost like we were strangers sure you know um and I was just thinking that we were just going to go back to the way it was but we had to like rebuild that yeah um, whenever you were talking it reminded me of this part in the big book so on page 98 it's one of my favorite lines too some of us had taken very hard knocks to learn this truth job or no job wife or no wife and then here at maggie's we add in kid or no kid we simply do not stop drinking so long as we place dependence upon other people ahead of dependence upon god burn the idea into the consciousness of every man that he can get well regardless of anyone the only condition is that he trusts in God and clean house. That's what I was thinking about whenever you were talking, right? The theme that I keep hearing is your dependence upon God above people. Sure. It's so, and I'm sure you've seen it too, right? Like I have to get, I have to get my child back. I have to get my kids back. I have to, you know, and thinking like, I can't, I can't be okay. And I can't get sober. And I can't do these things. And unless I have these things and, what I keep hearing over and over. And, and this is what I heard in you whenever you were doing my lashes. I mean, you're getting a lot of plugs for lashes, by the way. <laughs> was your reliance and dependence upon God? And I feel like that's kind of been a theme through this whole thing is dependence upon God um, above other people. So what would you say to a mom who is listening, who is going through CPS or anything like that? I would say that our kids can't keep us sober. Our kids can't keep us sober. My daughter can't keep us sober. And when I'm in that selfish state of my alcoholism, I am not gonna be able to give her the love that she deserves, Mm -hmm. you know? And even if I am sober, but I'm not in recovery, the same thing, you know, Mm -hmm. because my alcoholism is gonna show up and I'm, you know, my defects kind of rear their heads and I don't have any dependence on God. I don't have any other solution. So I would say, get a sponsor, call her, call her, (laughs) call her, um, work the steps and, you know, trust that whatever is supposed to happen is going to happen and it's going to happen way better than anything you could have planned. Mm -hmm. And and it's going to be more perfect. And our, our little minds just can't, you know, I mean, I know we kind of have big minds. We're pretty intelligent. Mm -hmm. You you know what I mean? Like compared to God, there's no way that I could paint the picture that he wants for me. Mm -hmm. And as long as I'm trying to force my will into my life and into other people's lives, God's not going to step in and take over until I ask for help, until I surrender that problem over. There's nothing that can stand in my way or that can kind of, you know, bring me down or separate the love that I have for God because I know that that's like the best friend I have and it's it's the most dependable friend I have and God wants me to do well and as long as I surrender to his will I believe that it's going to be way bigger than anything I could have ever dreamed mm-hmm. so yeah get a sponsor and call her and yeah. work the steps <laughs> no I mean I think that's that's amazing I mean it's kind of like the same it's the same answer for everything, right? If you're struggling with alcoholism, get a sponsor, work the steps. Mm-hmm. No matter what's going on in your life, get a sponsor, work the steps. 
I'll say this too, you know, is that whenever I was in treatment, I had CPS, I had probation, I had maybe I was going to lose my job, I lost my car, I lost my um, house and everything, you know, and whenever I got into treatment, they told me to focus on myself and I took that very seriously for some strange reason I never had before, but they told me all my problems were going to be out there when I got out there, but if I didn't work on myself and I didn't come up with a better solution than alcohol to fill my God-sized hole that I wasn't going to be able to handle any of those problems anyway. Oh, I love that. And so, I, yeah, I love that too. I'm, I'm, and for some reason, it stuck with me, and I actually focused on myself. And I don't know why. It just, you know, something kind of shifted in me in, in that time. And originally, I went into Nexus just so I could get my kid back, just so it would look good to the judge, because that's what the girls in jail were telling me. They're saying, you need to go to a treatment center because then it's going to look really good and you'll get your kid back. But while I was in there, I did some work on myself and I started to get to know myself. People would ask me, what do you like to do for fun? And I'm like, I don't drink. You know, I didn't know anything about myself. And so once I have this solution that can solve all my problems, it's not really my problem anymore. And my only job is to go out and help people. And because, you know, while I'm doing God's work, he's like somewhere doing my work. And I I feel that's the solution to everything. That's so good. That's so amazing. On that note, I mean, I wanted to talk to you about this anyways, and I didn't know how we were going to transition into it, but I'm thinking back to our discussion of me on the table and you doing my lashes. And we talked about, you know, the program and then people either like getting into sober living or service work or all these things. And all of that stuff is really good, but replacing the program with those things. So then like that becomes your program. And I've seen it happen with just my time being sober and women that I sponsor and everything. They get so caught up into this like new fellowship and this, you know, sober community and sober living and service work that they forget that the, that the program is the first 164 pages and your sobriety is dependent upon your relationship with God, not how much service work I'm doing or how many recover recovery people I'm hanging out with and that sort of thing. You have done a very good job. And I remember thinking, wow, she is so refreshing to talk to because my mind can be so judgmental. And I'm kind of afraid to say that because I don't know who's going to listen and take this wrong way. But it can be and so but you do such a good job of being of service and still being part of this fellowship in this community and you know being a part and of service to this sober living place that helped you and all of these things but not blurring the lines in the sense that you know that the program comes first along with your relationship with God so do you have any experience that you want to share? Like maybe there's somebody listening who's like realizing that, oh, I've I'm, I've started to do that where I've confused the two. I've replaced one with the other. Do you know what I'm asking you? Sure. Yeah. So over these last four years, I have blurred the lines um, lots of different times in the way that I can recenter myself. So once you get through the steps, you know, the steps never end, but I need to live in 10, 11 and 12, not just 12. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I can live on 12 for a little bit, right? I can survive just on service. And then I start going into where I'm being of service and I start controlling things, right? Um, or I start to put my selfish nature into it and I'm not thinking about 
about the better part of the entire group. It's like, what do I want to do? How can I manipulate and convince these people that my way is the right way? Because, you know, my defects start to crop up if I'm not taking care of those things, if I'm not asking God to remove them at once and I'm not doing 10 and 11 and 12, if I'm not asking God who I can help that day in my morning meditation, then my intention might not be to help at all. Mm -hmm. You know, and it might be so I can go tell somebody that I did some service work and look at how good I am. Right. So I have to be actively participating in my own program because 12 is only going to take me so far. And I definitely have I have put sober living at the forefront of things. They have given me a lot and it really saved my life. And they took me in when I had no money Mm -hmm. and I needed the accountability at the time. And so I love being of service to them. And I do see a lot of people that kind of get stuck in that. And it usually when I see that it's people who haven't worked the steps in the first place, Mm -hmm. but I mean, it could happen to anybody and I wake up a brand new alcoholic every single day. Right. So I have to incorporate my program into my morning meditation and then all throughout my day because um if you ask me tomorrow or you like talk to me at 7 a.m i'm gonna probably be really selfish and tell you that your eyes ideas aren't that great but i'll tell you in a nice way because you know it can be manipulative and so um when i'm not actively living in 10 11 and 12 then my defects start to come up and they come out at other people and then people don't want to be around me i can see the change and i can go to my sponsor and ask you know this is what i'm going through You know, Mm -hmm. because I don't always maintain, I do not do a nightly inventory every single night. I have in the past and my life is always better, you know, when Mm -hmm. I'm actively doing it. So same. I don't, I don't know why, like we have this experience where it's like we have, like we know that doing something is always better, but then we stop doing it and we don't do it. I've fallen into that so many times. When, you know, I have experience knowing when I do these things, my life is better. Eh, but I'm not going to do it today. Yeah. It's just, it's insane to me. I think for me, I start to take it for granted. I'm like, oh, my life is going good. You know, maybe I'll I'll like pray later or I'll go to a meeting tomorrow, Mm -hmm. you know, because my will starts to creep back in and I forget how desperate I was, which is why I need to go to meetings and hear the newcomer talk about where I was. Because if I start to forget, then it just seems like, oh, my life is doing good. And then I start taking credit for good things in Mm -hmm. my life and Mm -hmm. I forget to thank God because, you know, I have kind of slacked on my program a little bit yeah reminded no I'm reading the four agreements right now and one of the things that you know they're talking about I've read it before but I'm reading it again is don't take anything personal Mm -hmm. and you know I totally want to get down with like don't take anything negative personally but then it's like you don't take anything positive personally either because I want to take credit for the positive stuff but I don't want to have to take credit for the negative stuff sure yeah and so I can totally like my ego can grow back, right? And one of the things that I pray for a lot is for God to keep me humble because I can. Like I can start, you know, thinking that I'm so great and I've done all these things and this is, but really like it's God who's done all these things. Oh yeah, that's good. The only reason why I can even show up at all is because God has taken away my difficulties so I can bear witness. Yeah. You know, and I just, I love that you were talking about too that, you know, if you're not doing 10 and 11 that you start showing up like selfishly like in the way that you help others and all of that and it stops being about actually helping someone and more about like how I can look and so I just I think a lot of people will be able to relate to that now on the flip side of that though what are some of your favorite things about 
service and why do you feel like it's important to be of service to the organization that helps save your life because at Maggie's we have you know so many women who love Maggie's obviously I love Maggie's and they you know the way that they show their gratitude is by being of service to to the Magdalene house and one of the things that I love about next up is we are all about like being of service and volunteering and showing your gratitude in action but having God reliance and not Maggie's reliance you know that God reliance first and we even tell them in the beginning like God comes first then your sponsor in the 12 steps then your home group and then us yeah you know so what are some of the benefits that you get from being of service Oh man, first of all, with the sober living thing, you know, I feel like I kind of owe it to them. There's no way I can ever repay what saved my life because I had nowhere to go when I got out of treatment. Literally had nowhere to go. Who knows? I would have ended up maybe back with my daughter's dad or, you know, because I had done that before too, you know, I maybe would have ended up with him or in a homeless shelter or whatever. And it just worked out how it was supposed to. And I love the organization and Um, I'm a huge member. I'm an alumni. I'm on the Alumni Association, and I even went to, like, a world conference to go get information in D.C. last year and bring it back to my chapter. And, yeah, I I just – I really love it. And so on the other side of that, you know – my home group has to be I can't I feel like if I'm not doing service for my home group I'm stealing from the group Mm -hmm. you know I'm robbing the group that is there is no way ever that I will be able to repay um, what this program has Mm -hmm. done for my life it's going to be the rest of my life that I'm going to be repaying this thing but in the beginning I did not understand what the heck my sponsor was talking about because I would tell her that I had these big big problems and she would say, okay, we're going to um, bring the message to Nexus this week. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Do mm-hmm. you Did you hear me? I have these really, really big problems. And I think that's when I was trying to get an apartment, actually. And I was just, like, really freaking out about it. And she was just like, oh, that's nonsense. She was, like, blowing it off. <laughs> and she was like, get in my car, right? And I was, like, so upset with her. But whatever, I was willing to take suggestions and I was willing to do anything, right? And she was like, you don't have to figure it out right now. It's only going to be an hour. We're going to go over to this treatment center and bring the message there. And I was like, I don't have anything to offer. And she said, you know what? They're going to be looking at you with 90 days versus me with nine years. They're going to say, how did you make it through 90 days? You just got out of this treatment center. Like, how are you, you know, how are you mm-hmm. still dealing without your kid and all these things? Um, and so I was like, okay, well, I'll just tell them you know about my life I guess and about kind of how I got here and so I did that and when I left the meeting there was an email on my phone about this apartment and it's just those are the little things that I know I really feel a hundred percent that if I'm doing what I think God would have me do and I call it God's work you know if I'm if I'm going to bring this message and trying to help people come back from the gates of hell whether I'm successful or not is not I'm not in the results business God is you know and so as long as I'm going out and doing what I think God would have me do and asking for his will he takes care of all my stuff Mm -hmm. and so that's that's way bigger than I could ever ask for Mm -hmm. that is my that is my reward I get to stay sober whether or not any person at the meeting that I went to speak to heard me or related or anything that's not I want them to relay. I want them, but they'll get it on their own time, and that's up to them and God, right, mm-hmm. and their sponsor and how they work their program. 
Um, and the truth is a lot more of us are probably not going to make it in, in the program than do. So, you know, I know that I'm not going to touch every person when I speak. And that's not why I do it, but I just know that's the result. When, mm-hmm. I, when I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing or what God would want me to do, he takes care of all my stuff. It's huge. It's uh, a bigger. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's bigger than anything I could ever ask for. Yeah. yeah no I that's whenever I you know talk some I do I talk about that I was like you know I give my sponsor like this list of all my problems and she told me to go help somebody like how the heck does that do anything <laughs> did you not hear me yeah um but it does so much and yeah. you just you don't have like I still don't understand why but it just does you know I can totally get down with the never being able to like repay back the program because that's that's how I feel yeah I'm gonna I might get emotional thinking about it but like I just feel like there's like nothing that I could ever do to to repay everything that this program has given me I see people with time and they decide that they don't need this program anymore and their life's great and you know they can be of service to their families or go to church and all those things and I hope that I never buy into that because I feel like what that saying is like thank you god for the life but i don't yeah but i don't (laughs) need to help anybody yeah you know i was just thinking about this recently because i feel like i have the best sponsor in the world we have such a great relationship and i see women who get time and they struggle trying to find a sponsor that is big book strong sponsorship and that they can feel comfortable and relate to because there's not a lot of women to choose from once you get some time. Yeah. And so we need people like you who have this like overwhelming passion and desire to want to continue to repay back the program that saved their life because there's going to be more women to help besides just the one who comes in with, you know, a little bit of time. What about the woman with like four years sober who is dry and struggling and you know is suicidal and like needs somebody to like take her through the steps and find a spiritual solution right like what about those women I don't know why I went on that tangent but I just like we we need more women like on this side you know for the newcomer and for the alcoholic that is still struggling no matter how long they've been sober and so I just feel like really really lucky for the relationship that I have with my sponsor and it's also very very refreshing to talk to somebody like you yay thank you for saying that so sweet yeah absolutely so we're getting to the top of the hour is there anything that we haven't talked about that you feel like is important to talk about talk to the newcomer when the meeting is over i don't know if i can say that yes okay so let's talk about that actually so because i can totally bring this into a question um, one of the things that we talk about continuously in Next Step, which, by the way, y'all, I'm going to put a link to Next Step, which is our outpatient program in the show notes. But one of the things we talk about is get a home group and not just get a home group, but like how are you showing up at your home group and how are you contributing to your home group? And I see you in, in your home group and you guys seem to like have a lot of support for one another and a lot of unity, which is really cool. And um, I'm sure a lot of them are going to listen to this episode. Mm-hmm. What would you say if you could come in and talk to our next set participants or any other person about how to show up for your group? What would you want to say? 
I mean, there are so many service positions. And if there isn't one, ask somebody who's been around for a little bit what you can do to be of service. And it might be vacuuming the floor or scrubbing toilets or emptying the ashtrays. Ask. There's always something. If you are ready to be of service, which you should be right away, you don't have to be on any specific step to be of service. Do that. Do those things. Stay busy. And it's kind of like a distraction or something. I don't know how it works. It's just magic. Do it, you know, but ask somebody who has been there a while that maybe seems like they know what kind of um, positions might be open to be of service. Why did you choose the group that you have as your home group? So the group that I am at now was struggling last May. There were like four to six people attending every meeting. And so a friend of mine asked me and my best friend to come support their group conscience. And we did that. And right away we jumped in. We were like, hey, well, we're willing to be on this committee and help find however it's going to grow, right? Like help try to grow this meeting. And so we switched it to another night. And the next week we had 30 people there. And the next week we had 40 people there. And now we have like anywhere between 50 and 70 people at every single meeting. It's nuts. And I have just fallen in love with the home group. The unity is so unique. We do crazy stuff in there. We're just fun and open. Um, and there aren't really any filters. And we use the big book. And But we're also open about other things. You know, other people may have struggled with outside issues. And we're really open about that and I love that Um, and every single meeting we stay in the solution and you know sometimes the newcomer will ramble or even like one of us might ramble if we're going through some stuff but we always bring it back to the solution it's a beautiful thing because we all know what the problem is right and we've all experienced like some ups and downs before we got into the rooms and you know different walks of life but we all suffered we were Mm -hmm. all really suffering so It's so important at my home group and everybody at the group conscience agrees that it's so important for us to stay in the solution. And when we're in the solution, we bring God into our room and um, we're all able to kind of shine. I feel like we're all glowing. It's Mm. beautiful. That is beautiful. Yeah. And Chelsea's uh, home group is now a cocaine anonymous group. And so if you are someone who struggles with outside issues and you're looking for a group that uses a big book reach out to chelsea yes. because uh maybe she can meet you at a meeting for sure all right well what is your favorite line or lines in the big book okay my favorite favorite one is i can't think of the page it's on but it says it works. It really does. It's oh God, the most simple. That's Chloe's favorite line. Really? Yes. Page 88. Ah. It's so simple and just like, you know, matter of fact, like it works. It really does. And I believe that. And it's kind of silly. And, you know, also I love and I believe it's acceptance was the answer. Don't quote me because I could be totally wrong. You want to read it? Okay. I'm just going to read this entire paragraph because it is so beautiful. And acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. When I am disturbed, it is because I find some person, place, thing, or situation, some fact of my life unacceptable to me. And I can find no serenity until I accept that person, place, thing, or situation as being exactly the way it is supposed to be at this moment. Nothing, absolutely nothing, happens in God's world by mistake. Until I could accept my alcoholism, I could not stay sober. Unless I accept life completely on life's terms, I cannot be happy. I need to concentrate not so much on what we need to be changed in the world, 
as on what needs to be changed in me and my attitudes. That is not even. Is that not what you were talking about? It's not on 417, but it's, yeah, I love that though. Oh. That was really good. Okay. That's my favorite chapter, so. Oh, awesome. All right. Well, my final question is, and this has been great. I really believe it's going to help a lot of people, but also just for our listeners, before I ask Chelsea the final question, um, if you have loved what you heard, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It is more than just the review. The review helps us reach more alcoholic women, which is ultimately what we are trying to do. We are trying to give hope to the alcoholic woman that still suffers. And there's people out there that need to know that Maggie's exist because all of our services are at absolutely no cost. So you can recover with dignity no matter what your economic situation is um, and we are here to help and people need to know that so your review matters even if you don't love it still leave a review also upload this to your instagram story um let us know what your takeaways were and tag the magdalene house and we would love to hear from you and then if you want to get in contact with chelsea um whether if you could you're a mom or anything like that let me know and I'm sure I can connect you guys. So, Chelsea, what would be the one thing that you would want to say to the suffering alcoholic if this whole podcast was going to be deleted and there was only going to be this one thing, what would you want them to hear? You're not a bad person. You're a sick person. And once you accept that and surrender your life to this program and get a sponsor and work the steps, uh, life is going to be a lot easier because this really is the easier, softer way. Mm. Thank you so much. It was wonderful. Everybody who is listening, thank you. We love you. Love you. And we'll see you later. podcast is from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a nonprofit organization located in Dallas, Texas, and we provide comprehensive recovery services to alcoholic women at absolutely no cost. You can learn more and support our mission at magdalenehouse.org.